1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we are going to pray before we get into the word. Lord, just uh, again, just my prayer after worship that you would bring truth to bear in our hearts today. Um, Lord, we just, we can be so quickly manipulated by the world's agenda and by the world's views and just how the enemy wants to distract us from serving you with all of our heart, God. And so we pray that, uh, that you would set us right, Lord. Set us where we're broken. Uh, encourage us and affirm us where just we're, we're on the right track. And um, Lord, we just so long to be part of the people that you would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that I prepared for you. And Lord, just cause us to be faithful servants of yours, 100%, Lord. Not, uh, not one bit of our own lives that we would hold on to and say, this is mine. Other than that, you're the Lord. But Lord, that you would be God and master of all that we are uh, in our family lives, in our career paths, in our hobbies, um, in our entertainment, all of these things. Have your way in us by the power of God and for the glory of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, in an in a effort to uh, speak the, the word of the Lord for us today, um, partly from the Gospel Family series from Klamath Falls to Prineville today, uh, we're going to use 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as a bit of a springboard to discuss marriage and to discuss family. And that uh, family is to exist for the glory of God, not for self-fulfillment. Um, that we would live for the, the kingdom of God, which is uh, already and not yet. There's a future kingdom of God. That we would have our families be, uh, be all about the, the eternal mindset, the eternal hope of glory that we have uh, I overheard uh, a woman once said, I overheard my nine-year-old son on the phone with a friend discussing a computer simulation game. The game involved creating a family, a house for them to live in, and so on, similar to the Sims game, if you're familiar with that. And she said, my son, an old hand at the game, gave this warning, whatever you do, don't get kids. They don't bring in any money, and all they do is eat. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, the scriptures say, hey, kids are wonderful. Psalm 127, 3-5 says, children are a heritage from the Lord. They're the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. So it's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful gift to have a heritage, to have this family. You know, a part of the prophecies of the Messiah, and, and even the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah, John the Baptist, says that in Malachi 4, 6, that this, this forerunner to the Messiah will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. What a beautiful thing to think of that relationship, that synergy within the home. 
Deuteronomy and the Shema, the, the, the verses that the Israelites quote every day when they say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It goes on to say, You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he goes on to say, And the words that I'm commanding you, you're to teach them diligently to your children wherever you're at. 24-7, man, it's, it's, it's discipling your children on the path, when they wake up in the morning, when they lie down at night, when you're eating dinner, just talking about the things of the Lord, training them up in righteousness. We, we're encouraged as fathers not to provoke our children to wrath, not to be overly severe to them, but to bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now, there's enough circulating in the media today to discourage Christians about the future of marriage and the future of family. We quoted a statistic about three weeks ago that the divorce rate among Christian adults is the same as that among non-Christians. It's a 50% divorce rate, which is just tragic. And in an Atlantic uh, Daily article titled, All the Single Ladies, Katie Bullock suggested that we stop thinking of traditional marriage as society's highest ideal. Divorce is no longer the new normal, she says. It's just normal. Back in the 80s and 90s, you might be familiar with the term turnkey kids. It was meant to represent a sad reality for children. Now the term has been uh, done away with because it's just regular. That kids are going from home to home, parent to parent. As, uh, as just the fragmentation of the family is rampant. All of these cultural developments have led to Christians becoming more and more family-centered. For Christianity's sake, for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of society. And with that, we've had the development of promise keepers that have encouraged men to love their wives. And I remember going to a Promise Keepers conference, and, and uh, it was break time, and we were up at Quest Stadium, you know, where the Seattle Mariners and Seahawks play, too, I think. And uh, we're out there, and we've got sorority girls there with I Love My Wife bumper stickers, and they're like, hey, boys, come get your bumper sticker. You know, like, I love my wife, you know, like forking over money. So I'm just like, you don't love your wife at all. I'll take five. Okay. Promise keepers does encourage men to love their wives and to be faithful. John Piper and Wayne Grudem edited a scholarly and pastoral book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. We have a whole ministry on the radio that says, hey, focus on the family. Focus on the family. But with every one of these responses, there's a danger of overcorrecting. Overcorrecting. Perhaps in that overcorrection, we don't adopt biblical and theological and evangelical views of what the home should look like, but we adopt sociological views, worldly views, things that we get from secular society and societal norms rather than biblical norms. A friend of Chad's and Kevin's and mine, who's a pastor in uh, Portland, I consider him a friend, he probably doesn't really know who I am, but... Uh, he's a, he's, no, yeah, but that's everybody that I call a friend, but he was talking about when he 
came into a church once as a pastor and took over a Sunday school class. His name's Arta Zerdia. And he said, as I took over this Sunday school class that had spoken the whole last year on family values and family lives, he says, in this Sunday school class, there were three things that were obvious. Number one, most of these couples were not involved in the life of the church in any way, shape, or form. And that's a danger that we can have with home groups and with Sunday schools or things like that. Like, they become churches within churches and people won't be part of the larger corporate gathering that we see in the new testament so they're not involved in the church in any other way this group that would come to sunday school to focus on family values would possess no evangelistic burden whatsoever to see the nations come to christ and they also possess little to no appetite for any of the great deep truths of god unless they directly intersected with family Now, don't get me wrong. As we start this, family is good. Family is important. It's to bring glory to God and reflect his character, his nature. And we don't want to get away from that at all in the scriptures. But what we see is so often when people are focused on family, it rips them away from the greater, bigger picture of what God has for a church, a local congregation, and a Christian even individually. Last year, we did a 14-week series on the family. But it wasn't only on the family. It was called Gospel Family. And just before that, I had somebody come into my office in 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 an angry huff. Now, this individual hadn't been to church in a few months. And when he came into my office, he just, with some flesh, some carnal language, and some things like that, said, you know what, This, this church... It's just ridiculous. All you do is preach the gospel. All you care about is saving people. All you care about is evangelizing. And, 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 you know, there's no family teachings. And that's what we need. I need to need more than, hey, are you reading the word to your wife? I I need to know, like, some, some things to do for my home and for my family. And I said, well, you know, one thing that maybe is adding to that is we're in the book of Romans right now, verse by verse, and, and you're going to just be seeing a ton of gospel there. That, that's one thing. Uh, but also, I'm sorry, buddy, but the Bible is not an encyclopedia where you just pick and choose, like, whatever topic you want to do. The whole of the scripture is gospel. We are gospel. If you're a Christian, it's gospel. It's gospel family. It's gospel dating. It's gospel uh, career. It's gospel hobbies, man. We're about the gospel. And if we lose sight of that, we've lost sight of everything. Jesus says after he rose from the dead, don't you get it that everything is about me? Everything is about what I've done to save you and then to empower you and to set things right. And, and so I, explaining that, I just, you know, very lovingly and just trying to work there, I just said also, but this is amazing, buddy, because the Lord has already led us to do a 14-week family series on Wednesday nights. Isn't that incredible? You got this concern. We're already on it. The Lord's already moving us. And he wasn't impressed with that at all. And said, oh, I actually can't make that. I'm too busy. And uh, I've got a lot of family stuff going on. All right. So that's what we find. And the funny thing is, it wasn't an isolated individual where we saw this. It was spread throughout the church where we're hearing this. And hey, great. We've got a family series coming up. Oh, I just uh, can't be there. Families. Families kind of in the way. It's like, like, do you you see what's going on here? 
Dr. Schaefer said this, Never forget that a healthy Christian family, just like a healthy Christian church, has been, to, has been designed to exist for a goal outside itself. All right? The healthy Christian family isn't the goal. It's not the goal. It's, it's about something else. And yet we as a church, with our focus on the family, can suffer from the medical condition of myopia, where the distant object of where we're going is blurred. just can't see it. We just get so focused on the here and now, but there's so much more. Zechariah and Elizabeth went through this in the early chapters of the book of Luke. Zechariah, this prominent figure in the community in Israel, he was a priest. And yet for 60-some years, him and his wife were barren. They couldn't have children. That was a big deal over in Israel. It meant there was some hidden sin in your life. What's going on? I don't respect you as a leader. You don't have family. The culture back then was so about family as well. 10, 20, 30, 40 years of barrenness had led to reproach and shame. But we see the same thing within the church today. If you're an individual who God's called to singleness, or perhaps doesn't seem that he's brought a man or a woman into your life by the time you're 20, 30, 40, then there's shame brought upon you by our society. Every time you ladies go to a, uh, a baby shower, the questions are asked, when are you going to get yourself a man? Or, or if you're there and you've been barren, when are you going to have the little pitter-patter of little feet? Come on. It's about the family. Get to it. And it just can become very shameful. I mean, my sister, beautiful, godly woman, 33 years old, I think. And, and she's single, but she's serving God with everything that's within her. And the Lord just moved me to not be like, come on, get a, go on a date. It's about getting a man in your life is what it's about. That's what, the, that's what the calls were to Zechariah. Something's wrong with you. And he'd gotten so focused on this, I've got to have it, but I can't have it, something's wrong, that even when an angel of God came to him and said, hey, hey old man, God's going to give you a baby. He said, oh no, no way, not possible. He becomes so idolatrous of this in his life that he completely disregarded the promises of God for his life. And that's what happens to us. Now, we err in a couple different ways in elevating family to an idol in that we, we care more about it than we care about the precepts and the things and the commands and the calls of God. We can err in two different degrees. On, on one end, we see this in our society, that personal independence and self-sufficiency, and I'm just in it for myself and my career and just being who I am and living life to the full, just for me. That can be over here. I don't want kids. I don't want a wife. It's just going to you know, ruin my groove and stomp on, step on my toes and all that. So I'm over here. And then we swing too far in the pendulum over on this side where we view society, a society views family as the most important thing. Over here, no, family's not important and it's going to ruin. Over here, it's the thing. It becomes an idol. It becomes something that fundamentally defines who we are. We then, in this error, in this side of things, we regard anyone who never marries or cannot have children as somehow subhuman that they must have done something wrong to upset God. And so, in wanting to address the disintegration of the family and the divorce rates and the hurting homes and the single, uh, single moms and the kids without dads, 
the church has so far swung to this end that God has become subservient to the family. God and the things of God bows down and yields to the American dream of what family is to be. And we as a church have swung the pendulum over too far, too far. We begin to even sell churches on the subject, saying, hey, the family, this is a family church. It's a church about families. And America would say, awesome. What's more exclusive than the family? Now, don't get me wrong. God does place incredible importance on the family, but never as an end in itself, only as a means to a much greater end, the proclamation of the gospel, the salvation of the world to the glory of God. It's the dilemma that we have as Christians. The failure to think of our families as avenues to something far greater. Instead, we think of our families as cul-de-sacs. It's like, this is the end right here. It's us for no more. Shut the door. You know, this is family day. You can't come over. Get out. You know, this is, it's about us. It's about me. Nothing else. Now, the family is never to exist for itself. It exists for a purpose outside itself. And we will get to 1 Corinthians and see what it says on the subject. Family and marriage is not the ultimate end. Now, family is very valuable. It's very dignified. Because even from creation, the creation of the family, male and female in the image of God, shows us in the doctrine of the Imago Dei that we exist for the glory of God. But as always, in every culture that's ever existed, things begin to creep in and try to take God's place on the throne. Things that are, are living, things that are breathing, things that are inanimate, things that have no personality, they will rise up and call themselves God and demand to be worshipped. One pastor boldly said at a, at a couple's conference, brothers and sisters, we have a new idol in the church of Jesus Christ. We are in grave danger of becoming Protestant moralists, worshiping at the shrine of the family. Worshiping at the shrine of the family. Hey, we're good. We're doing good Christian things. But it's all about family. Well, then we have a verse, such as 1 Corinthians seven twenty nine which is just part of what we're going to talk about today, where Paul says, I say this, brethren, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Did you guys hear that? I'm reading from the Bible. You might not have known that's in the Bible. Those who have wives should be as though they have none. Some of you are men like, praise God. Okay, no. Let's get into the context of it. Okay, first of all, yes, it's in the Bible. First of all, yes, it's absent from 99% of the Christian books on marriage that stock the shelves. Now, Paul in this verse, and nobody else, I'm not saying that we should neglect family or family responsibilities. Don't go there. Paul's not going there. In fact, when you go to Ephesians chapter 5, you see that there is to be a nourishing of your wife and a cherishing of your wife, just as Christ does the church. 
And so to say that, man, we're to neglect family and family responsibilities, it would go against other apostolic teachings in the scriptures. But what Paul is saying is, don't live your Christian life as though this is all there is. Now, we need to hear this principle more often. Even though it's subject to exploitation and misuse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you go back to verse 26, and this is after a good discourse on singleness and marriage and divorce and remaining married. Things that we've looked at in depth over the last three, four weeks. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 26, it says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. We're going to get into three statements in 1 Corinthians 7 that tell the mindset we should have as Christians with our families. In verse 26, we read that there's a present crisis. It's the word anarche, and it speaks of a calamity or a violent, difficult circumstance. Jesus used the word to describe the great tribulation, and he says it's mega k anarche, or mega anarchy, all right? A mega distress. And Paul writes about whatever's going on with the Corinthian church, man, there's, there's some crazy stuff going on. There is distress going on in the world. Perhaps he's talking about the, the persecution of the Christians under Caesar Nero and them being dressed up in animal skins and fed to lions and thrust through with spears dipped in tar and lit on fire in his garden as he rode around in his chariot yelling, now you're the light of the world. Okay, so that's, that could be part of the distress that he's writing about here. It could also be part of the, the erroneous thinking that we've already d- talked about that in order to be a true Christian, you've got to stay single. Okay, that's what uh, a lot of the false prophets were saying there in Corinth. But most of the guys that I read say that, you know, Paul is speaking to Christianity and being Christians, it's like living in a war zone. There's going to be crisis wherever you take the gospel and singleness might be a good idea. The time is short. We have a mission it might be a good idea to stay single. He says in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Don't seek a wife. Even if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you and I'm going to spare you today as well. Verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they have none. And so we have a present crisis. And then we have in verse 29, the time is short. You might underline that. Let me read the Phillips paraphrase. He says, Yet I believe that those who take this step are bound to find the married state as an extra burden in these critical days. And I should like you to be as unencumbered as possible All our futures are so foreshortened indeed that those who have wives should live, so to speak, as though they had none. All right? So things are very serious. And Paul would want us to be unencumbered in our ministry of the gospel to the world. Because there's a present crisis and the time is short. Now, John Calvin speaks to that short time being the impending approach of death. 
hey, we all have a short time. All right, I was reading about Enoch and Noah this week, and Enoch lived 365 years, and Noah got to live some 600 years, and we got like 72 years if we're lucky. Time is short. My grandma just passed away at 84, and I'm looking at her life in pictures, and I'm like, this was just yesterday. This was just yesterday. And my grandpa's 92, and I'm sitting there with him as my grandma is, is dead now, and he's there, and I'm talking with him, and I'm hearing about his life as a disciple or lack thereof, and I'm thinking, man, time went by fast. Man, he missed out. Man, at, at best, he's got fire insurance right now. 92 years gone, and a missed life of being about the Father's business. The time is short. I saw on Pinterest, sorry, sorry, guilty pleasure, right? The historical section or the humor section and men's fashion. But okay, other than that, don't look at me like that, Dustin. I know you're on there too. And there was a chopped down tree and it was laid over so you could see all the rings And they found this tree to be 1,400 years old. And and so they took, uh, um, you know, Photoshop or whatever, and they put, okay, by the time this ring was here, you know, um, Roman Empire had fallen. You know, by the time this ring was here, uh, you know, Martin Luther, you know, nailed the 95 Thesis to the door of the chapel. By the time here, Joan of Arc. By the time here, George Washington, Revolutionary War. By the time here, Civil War. By the time, World War I, World War II. This tree, you know, that tree's like, you guys, listen, you don't have long, all right? You don't have long. Do you understand that? Your life is a hand breath. I'm guessing this is what that means. All right, I don't know. It's a, a vapor. Your life is a vapor. I'm 32 this November. I'm like, what the? I was just like graduating high school, having a party, eating a cake. Like, that was yesterday. And I know that many of you would say, it goes so fast. And in the youth, you don't understand it. Have you piddled away your life as a disciple? Be honest if you have. There's grace and there's forgiveness today. But God in his mercy has called you here to hear. Don't waste it. Don't you waste it. There is a crisis. There are some 2,000 languages out there that don't have the scriptures in written form. There are tribes that have never heard the name of Jesus. And you are wasting your life. You're wasting it. You're wasting it with everything under the sun, and you're being deceived by Satan to think that it's okay. We have one life to live, and it will soon pass, and only what we've done for Jesus will last. Those words were spoken by Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, who died on Wednesday. And you know what he was doing on Sunday? He preached three sermons. Praise God. I hope that's me. Check your life. See its vapor acknowledge where you've fallen short, receive God's grace, and move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit because there is still time, but it is short time. So much so that verse 30 says, those of you who weep, your life should be as if you did not weep. Those of you who rejoice as though you did not rejoice. Those of you who buy as though you do not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it, here's the third phrase, for the form of this world is passing away. Eternity 
is what is in view here. And we've seen that in 1 Corinthians, haven't we? Any topic that Paul decides to, decides to hit on, he goes, hey, think about the, eternal of, the eternality of it. We've kind of dubbed the silly little phrase, have eternity stamped on your eyelids so that every time you're blinking, you're thinking of eternity. And what does Paul say about marriage and whether you should get married or remain single or get divorced, which we all know what the scriptures say about that, or have a family and have kids? What's he saying? Look to eternity. Have an eternal mindset because eternity has an impact on marriage. It has an impact on sex and family and death and happiness and possessions and culture. When you understand eternity and how soon it is coming and how what is happening now is just passing away and decaying, your mind will be changed in all of these areas. We use the things of the world, but not as those who are engrossed by them. Those who buy as though they don't even possess it, as though they have nothing to keep. We've got an eternal mindset with our family. Our world is rejoicing. Our worldly rejoicing, excuse me, is just a tiny fragment of the great party we're going to have in heaven. So keep focus. Keep focused. Phillips again says, there's no time to indulge in sorrow, no time for enjoying our joys. Those who buy have no time to enjoy their possessions. And indeed, their every contact with the world must be as light as possible for the present scheme of things is rapidly passing away. The mode of existence, the word scheme, schema, mode of existence, our fashion of life, it's going away. And John says that in 1 John chapter 2. He says, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the three bullets in the gun of self, what the theologians have said, it is of the world and it is passing away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And so we can't read 1 Corinthians 7 with the idea of family values and marriage and singleness unless it's within the context of there's a present distress. Time is short and the world is on its way out. Is that how you view your family? Is that how you view possibly getting married or possibly having kids? In verse 32, Paul says, I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord and how he may please the Lord. If you're single, you don't care about much. You come to the church, you participate. You, and then after church, man, you get to go out and, and hang out at Apple Peddler as long as you want. You got no one calling you, telling you, hey, where are you going? Now you can go hang out at Apple Peddler when you're married, but you better bring a little leftovers home with you. Because you got little birdies that are saying, feed me, care about me, nourish me. Verse 33 says, but he who is married cares about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. And that's true. We do have care. We do have responsibility. We need to nourish and cherish our family. J.B. Lightfoot said, a man who's a hero in and of himself becomes a coward when he thinks about his widowed wife and his orphaned children. There's something that causes us to, to check, to put a check there. What am I doing? Many people have been critical of Pastor Saeed. What are you doing going to Iran and leaving your family? You deserve to be in jail. You're so careless. I think that Pastor Saeed is a man who took the words of God seriously. In Luke chapter 14, we're going to get there in just a minute. 
Verse 34 says, there's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in body and in spirit, but she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. True, awesome, good word, Paul. You can't see, serve with singleness of focus. You have now some cares and some potential distractions. But what this is not teaching is that marriage should reduce a believer's obligation to the Lord and to the Lord's work. Marriage and family does not bring and allow slackness to our labor for the Lord and to his great and eternal kingdom, nor should any other relationship. We don't see that in the apostles' teachings, nor in their life lived out. And within our American culture, the church often has these priorities. i got God number one. Number two, I've got family. Number three, I've got the Lord's work, the Lord's day, serving and attending fellowship. Fourthly, I've got daily appointments. And fifthly, I've got leisure. And I would say that number two and number three are in the wrong order. It's a dichotomy that doesn't need to be there. Well, I've got God and I've got family and then I've got the Lord's work, serving God and being part of his plan. We have this deification of marriage and of family and a denigration of the Lord's work. It's a hard thing to teach in a family that is consumed and spends millions and millions of dollars a year on family values and family resources. Now, the Bible isn't teaching disintegration of the family and marriage. They're great things that we see in Scripture. But verse 29 From now on, even those who have wives should live as though they have none. What is this teaching? Don't come home. Don't talk to your wife. Neglect your children. Of course not. It would go against everything else that the scriptures teach. But we have the words of Jesus himself that says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father father and his mother and his wife, and his children, and his brothers, and his sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. Now, I'm not trying to, man, he goes to Luke 14, like every week, all he talks about is, hate your mom, hate your dad. You know that's not what I'm saying. But as I'm teaching, I'm cross-referencing, I'm letting scripture commentate on scripture, and I'm listening to other pastors, they're all coming back here. They're all saying, remember the words of the Lord as he calls us to discipleship. These are words from Jesus himself, telling us that eternity's values change everything. Change how we live, how we die, how we deal with relationships and marriage and family. Now we know, we have such trust in God, that as we are serving him with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, everything that we have, including our family, that he is a good God, and he is going to take care of those relationships. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he says on the Sermon on the Mount. And all of these things that you need will be added unto you. Maybe not things that you want, but things that you need. He loves you more than he loves the birds and more than he loves the flowers of the field. And I want you to consider, though, how many families because of their commitment to family, deprive their family of the opportunity to worship God and and, and hear instruction from him on the Lord's day. 
How many are absent from the word of God because of commitment to family? Does it happen in our culture? And it's their decision to make. But you'll notice families and parents will rearrange breakfast time and dinner time to accommodate sports practice, music lessons, dance recital. There's correlation between these things. I will bend over backwards for things of this world and for my family, but I will not budge when it comes to the Lord or serving him. We need eternity to shine on our family and on our relationships with our wives. Eternity says in Matthew chapter 22, 30, for the resurrection, in the resurrection, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but will be like the angels of God in heaven. And so to know that our children have souls and they're going to spend eternity either in heaven or eternity in hell, we should be pouring into them the things that are going to make sure that they will know of this heaven rather than having family time that really has nothing to do with family. It has to do with the kids being in the other room or in the backyard or doing their thing and you're tinkering on your truck or your motorcycle or just hanging out watching TV and you're missing a time to invest in your children's souls and eternity. You very well might be pointing your children to things that will lead them to hell. And your children know what your priorities are. They do. They're smart. You know they're smart. And I have seen, and the elders have seen, that those who show that things of this world take higher priority and value than the things of the kingdom of God will be lived out in their children's lives when they are adults. And it is tragic. John Calvin said this, All the things that make for the enriching of this present life are sacred gifts of God, but we spoil them by our misuse of them. If we want to know the reason why, listen to this, it's because we are always entertaining the delusion that we will go on forever in this world The result is that the very things which ought to be of assistance to us in our pilgrimage in life become the chains that bind us. God has given you a wife to be a helpmate in your mission of God. And if you elevate her to be a God herself, there is a virus, there is a plague that will end in death. And she may be the very thing that chains you. Ravi Zacharias says, a legitimate pleasure is something that refreshes during the race without getting our eyes off the prize. And we see that in Father Abraham, the father of our faith, who had family comfort. He was set in Ur of the Chaldeans. And the Lord said, hey, leave it all and go to a land that you know not. And the call of God upon his life was worth packing up everything, taking off. And even when he got to the promised land, he lived in a tent for the rest of his life. But he knew how valuable eternity was. And Hebrews tells us he looked to the city that was made without hands. He looked to a home that was eternal in the heavens. Paul says in verse 35, I say this for your own profit Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. 
Paul and me, Paul and me, Paul and I, Paul or I, whatever, we're not trying to rob your fun, but we want to protect you. And the call of God upon your life to serve him with all your heart. We want to protect you from the affliction that you might live in the right way, in unhindered devotion to the Lord Jesus. The time is short. There's a great trial. It's all passing away. So sell out for Jesus. Donald Bloch said the proof of Christian marriage is the willingness of the two parties to sacrifice the marriage for the sake of the kingdom of God. Donald Bloch is an American evangelical theologian for 40 years serving in Scotland. Now, what he's saying isn't promoting that in the name of the ministry, we neglect and abandon our family responsibilities. Don't go there. Don't hear that at all in this message. He's saying that if the predominant occupation of our lives and of our fam- uh, is our families, and everything else, including the advancement of the kingdom of God, is subservient to family, then we indeed have elevated, elevated our families to a place that they were never intended to occupy. And you see that in Jesus' call to the disciples. Now, in today's message, Jesus might be just touching that button on us, touching that thing that we don't want to get rid of. Man, family, what are you talking about? I grew up on TGIF. Think, okay, never mind. Family TV night, family pizza night, family game night, just us. Nobody else, nothing else. And if we aren't open to the, the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit to be about his business, even on family game night day, night, we've erred. We've elevated family to be in a place it never was created to be. I think a problem that we often have is that we continue on with our view of society and family once we're born again. And we think, well, life is about family and life is about career and life is about doing what I want. And now I have Jesus in my life. And so I've got to try to cram him in here, maybe a little bit. Maybe you'll get Wednesday night, God, maybe, but probably not. You kind of pop out, it's too much in there. Maybe you'll get a core group. Maybe instead we got to understand there's a transformation of our life by the spirit of God. And now we're all about the kingdom of God. We're all in. That's it. And praise God, now we do other things, but it's for the advancement of his mission. You guys know I coached soccer this year, right? But I didn't coach soccer so that Russell could be like, the soccer player of the universe, you know? And man, he'll get a scholarship and he'll just be the most powerful man in the world. It's not what it was about. It was about, man, if I can get out into this community and I can get in kids' lives and get in parents' lives and I can share the gospel with them and I can love on them, I can be a light to them so that I can bring them into the kingdom. Lord, do it. And I had to miss two Wednesday nights, two teaching opportunities for me to preach to you guys. What is that all about? What that's about is, it's okay to be doing other things, but it's all for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the glory of our creator is the end. But sadly, the image that we have in our mind of what family is, it doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from leave it to beaver and full house and parenthood. That's where we get sociological understanding of the family. And we need to come back to a biblical, theological, and dare I say, evangelical, biblical 
worldview. Our hearts are idol-making factories, John Calvin said, and business is good. I mean, we are pumping out idols and things that can take God's place, whether it walks, whether it breathes, whether it creeps, whether it rolls on wheels, whether it hits a ball, whether it shoots an arrow, whether it, you know, provides a giant antler for our wall, man, boom, boom, boom. I love that thing and I'm going to serve it. And if you touch that, you're going to see aggression on my part big time. And we see that as we're making disciples and we say, hey friend, do you think maybe your truck and all the time that you put into it, just so you can have this incredible truck and be happy, do you think it's distracting you from the main purpose that God had? Don't you dare touch my truck. You know, that's what we see. And I'm just using a truck as an example, but we do that with other things. My family, you know, it's like, dude, love your family. I love my kids. My kids make me laugh and cry. We're trying to adopt. We're looking for a puppy for them. And, and, and here's our prayer. Lord, our puppy, let it be for you. Let us get a puppy that we could advance the kingdom for you. Lord, if you could give us a dog that somehow we could share the gospel with, do it. So far, no dogs out there that are for us. Dustin, shut it down, man. We don't have any time. We're running out of time. I got another 15 pages to teach you guys right now. It's this whole two services thing. It really throws off the groove. If the Lord is touching something in you right now, it might make you mad. Let me just tell you. Again, not the easiest thing to teach. We're all about the family. Hey, be all about Jesus. Be all about Jesus. And the rich young ruler, he ran to the feet of Jesus. And he grabbed it. Mark says he knelt down. Lord, good teacher. And Jesus says, hey, you know by calling me good, you're talking to God, right? Oh, too late, I'm already grabbed onto him. Okay, well, what must I do to be saved? Keep the commandments. I've done it, but I still know that's not it. What else do I need to do? You need to give up everything that owns you and be owned by Jesus. And even though he was down there, holding the feet or touching the feet or at the feet, kneeling, whatever, he went away sad. Why? You don't touch that. Don't you touch that. Follow me. I just bought a field. Follow me. I got to bury my dad. Follow me. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is by any means fit for the kingdom of heaven. Follow me. Worship team, come on up. Let's put our things aside and just, we, we didn't have communion today because I knew it would be stretching it with just the, this topic and When Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, you're not going to have a pillow if you follow me. He, all these things he'd say to these disciples that would come up and say, I'll follow you. Let the dead bury their own dead. It's not very nice, not very family, familial of language, but it's very eternal language. It's very eternal Lord God, today, 
many of us have a knock on the door just as you did that says, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want you. And Jesus, you looked around and you said, who is my mother and who are my brothers and who are my sisters but those that do the will of God? Lord, I pray that you would give us that mindset. That blood is thicker than water, but love is thicker than blood. Lord, that this family that you've called us to, Lord, it is, it's all in. And we see that in the early church. But Lord, we have competing passions. And for some, it's the family. For some, it's the hobby. For some, it's the career. For some, it's even serving you that's getting in the way. And being about works rather than being at your feet in your presence and knowing you. Lord, for some here today, the mission of God is a threat to their family time. And Lord, I just pray that you just gently say that it doesn't have to be either or. With our family, we could be about you, Lord. Lord, forgive us for our idolatry. Forgive us for thinking that our marriage or our family is the end. That's it. And Lord, do a work of your spirit today that no one hour sermon could ever do. Where you call us to die to the kingdom of self and to be all about you. John Bunyan from practically the first day he was saved, spent his life in prison for the gospel. And he wrote many books and many works. One's called The Pilgrim's Progress. And at the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress, a man named Christian has a giant burden on his back. He knows it to be his sin. And he reads in a book about the celestial city. He reads about where this burden can be taken off at the foot of the cross. And he's so excited that he tells his wife and he tells his kids, kids, the burden can be removed. Let's go. Let's go on this journey to the celestial city. And his wife and his kids laughed at him. He said, you're out of your mind. And he said, I've got to go. And they went out and they followed him down the road, crying for him to come back home. And he put his fingers in his ears and he shouted out, Life, life, I choose life. And Lord, today I pray that we would choose life. If it's a, an either or, if our family will disown us for following you, Lord, we would follow you. You say, I didn't come to bring peace, but to bring a sword, even in the home. And Lord, I've felt that and I've seen that in my own Family extended at the moment. and Lord, may we choose life. May we choose you. You are worth it, God. And maybe you're here today. And you walk through those doors and you're just, you're just a guy or you're just a gal. You're not a Christian. You've never followed Jesus. 
And maybe you know tons of Bible stories. And maybe you even agree with tons of Bible stories. But you've never trusted and obeyed the things that the scripture teaches. And here you've come, and God, by his mercy, he's saying to you right now, follow me. Follow me. And I would urge you today to be like the disciples who were washing their nets and mending their nets. And when Jesus said to them, follow me, they immediately dropped their nets, left their boat, left their father and the family business and everything that represented comfort and security to them, and they followed Jesus. He is worth it. He deserves it. It's the reason we were created. Follow him. You know exactly what to do. For some, he's calling to go and sell everything that you own and take up your cross and follow him. For some, he's calling to dismantle this or break up with that person or stop hanging out with those friendships or sell this or move here or be a part of a core group or be in a home group or come to the school of ministry. He's calling you today. You don't need to ask what you need to do. He's calling you and the Holy Spirit is telling you, follow me, follow me. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved and follow me. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, stand up, Come down front. Nothing like that. Follow him. Follow him. Lord Jesus, just believe this is your word for us today. It's subverting worldviews. It's confronting worldviews and pointing them to where they need to go. Lord, the enemy would love to take a message like this and just twist it and misuse it and say, Calvary Chapel, they hate their families. Don't go there. We love our children, Lord. Oh, we love our children. I want to father my son and my daughter the way you father me, Lord, that they might know their loving heavenly father. I love my wife, Lord, passionately. Thank you for her, God. But Lord, I know that Lindsay's not God and she doesn't want to be that. Lord, would you move us in our families to be all about you? It's the cost of discipleship, all or nothing. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.